Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Cy Brown, and you know what today is. Today is our show, Great Beginnings, where we start the week off with a lesson from ancient wisdom and great speakers and life coaches and teachers to help us on our personal journey of enlightenment and personal and professional development. Today I have a great lesson prepared. It, it, well, actually I have two, two from Tony Robbins, How to Solve Your Problems and How to Master Your Emotions. And once we kind of, I think, at least for me, many of my challenges came from my inability to solve problems. And I remember in school they taught, you know, math, problem-solving skills and how to figure out this equation. But we know how to do things in such a mechanical way, but there's a disconnect in actually being able to apply those skills to our own life. And uh, Tony Robbins does an amazing job at really helping and offering tips and solutions on how to solve problems. And when you look at what recently happened with uh, up in Binghamton where the, the gunman came in and shot 13 people and then turned the gun on himself, it's situations like this in our country, in our America, and across the world really exemplify the need or really personify the, the need in people being able to properly handle problems that they face in life. I've shared with you many times that at, at certain points in my life, I wanted to just check out, and I wanted to kill myself, and I didn't want to be here anymore. But really, that was a cry for help, just that I was unable to deal with the problem at hand or that I was unable to actually effectively work through the biggest challenge that was facing me at the moment. So now I totally understand that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And just based on coaching clients and based on conversations that I share with many of my clients, I understand the need and the importance on really how the, the immediate need of really how to solve problems. So when I came across this lesson by who is considered by many the father of life coaching, Mr. Tony Robbins, this was too good and too juicy not to share with you all. It is coming from my personal collection, so, and I'm really, really happy and honored to be able to bring this, this, um, his, this lesson to you. So I definitely thank you for tuning in. And our second lesson today is, is discusses how to master your emotions. And, again, another profound lesson that I happen to have in my personal collection, because a lot of times we do things out of emotion. We make decisions. We make snap decisions out of our emotions. We do all of these things out of emotion as opposed to perhaps logic or perhaps rational thinking. And I remember Joyce Meyer once said, we can't base our life on our feelings. Now, of course, our feelings can, can act as the moral compass to a certain degree of how we function and how we maneuver through life. But for the most part, you, you really can't just move through your feelings because one day you might feel good, one day you might feel bad. And for someone like me, I really can't be guided by my feelings because I am personally guided by the, my environment and by the sun. So, for example, today it is extremely sunny and bright here in New York, albeit a little chilly. I mean, I was up at the crack of dawn, and I have been on it all day. I mean, cranking out just 
optimum and peak productivity. But Saturday, I had work to do. My husband wasn't around. My kids were gone. I was in the house the entire day by myself, and I could not connect my brain to get my work done. I was in a very melancholy spirit, just really didn't want to, you know, kind of do much. And it was because it was very gloomy and dreary outside. So I, looking back, I mean, I'm still dealing with a lot of the things that I share with you, you all on a regular basis. Just because I'm a life coach and a success coach doesn't mean I don't have my own challenges. But the beauty is that I recognize it. And because of my training, I have equipped myself with the skills and resources and tools to be able to recognize, hey, wait a minute, that's, I'm slipping into depression. Hey, wait a minute, Saida, snap out of this. So, I, I believe these lessons that we're, we're going to engage in and listen to today can really be beneficial to help you in so many other areas of your life. Just a quick programming note before we jump right into today's lessons with Tony Robbins, who I am so excited about, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter, just twitter.com forward slash Cy Brown, and I'll put that in the chat room right now. Let's put that in the chat room, www. Twitter.com. I'm sorry, it's Life Remix. The one for the show is Life Remix. I'm giving you guys off information, but you can go to Side Brown too. Also, feel free to visit my blog, www.sidebrown.com. And then, uh, for those of you that are interested in any type of coaching, please log on to www.impactcoaching.info. And that's all the information on my group coaching sessions. So, now, based on that, uh, let me just give a quick hello. We have a guest in the chat room. Hello, guest. I see LaVon just joined us in the chat room. Hello, LaVon. And just so you know, I got the text message um, from you about talking with Rhea this afternoon. Any time after 2 o'clock today works for me. So thank you. Uh, I got your text message right before I was going on the air. So uh, I couldn't respond. I had to finish final prep for today's show. But just let Rhea know I can talk to her anytime today after 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So on that note, let's jump right into our lesson from Mr. Tony Robbins, How to Solve Your Problems. This is a 20-minute lesson, and I'll be right back on the other side. Day 25, the final breakthrough, how to solve problems quickly and effectively. Listen, after all that we've done and all we've worked on together, what's it really going to take to succeed? One final ability, and that is the ability to handle the inevitable problems that will come up when you start making major progress towards any goal. That is, I don't care how much skill you have, how much ability you have, how great things are flowing, problems are going to come up. And the reason is problems are part of life. They're part of what allow us to grow and expand and become somebody. Our life would be pretty darn boring without problems. In fact, we wouldn't get to know who we really are. So today, as we near the end of this personal power program, it's appropriate we just take a few minutes on this day to at least talk about the basic foundation of how to handle problems. How do we deal with those inevitable things that come up that we did not expect that get in the way of your ability to really succeed? And the solutions are simple, and this tape will be brief. 
because in problem solving, the most important thing that I could share with you and have you please remember for a lifetime is this. Learn to spend 80% of your time on the solution and only 20% of your time on the problem. Gosh, if you did only that alone and you listen to nothing else I said on this idea of how to solve problems, you would change your whole life. Because inevitably, what makes little problems into big monsters is spending all your time going over and over and over what the problem is. You don't need to do that. You just got to identify what's the challenge and what do I need to do to turn this thing around. And remember the power of questions. If you keep asking yourself, why do these problems always come up for me? How come this always happens? Why is this happening now? Those kinds of questions will whip you into an emotional frenzy because, again, they're endless loop questions. They will not solve your problem. Problem solving comes by controlling your focus, expecting an answer, knowing what you want in terms of change, trying something, noticing whether it works or not, and simply changing your approach until you get the result that you want. That's all you've got to do to solve problems. Now, it's true we've come full circle. In the first tape, we talked about this ultimate success formula, and we talked about that you could speed up the process of getting what you want, including solving problems, simply by using role models. Hey, if I've got a problem, the first thing I try to do is ask myself, how can I turn this around? What's the quickest way I can turn this around? What's the fastest way I can turn this around and maybe even have fun doing it? Or how can I learn from this while I quickly turn it around and have fun during the process? Remember, your brain can answer any challenge, any problem, if you just ask an effective question of yourself. And where your resources are not enough, there are plenty of people that have already gone through whatever problem you're going through who can give you solutions if you'll just model them. In other words, human experience, even though we're unique, the challenges that we experience in our lives, in relationships, in business, in friendships, in parenting, in economics, and in managing our physical body, those problems are common. And the solutions are also common. So finding a role model is a way to speed up the process of solving problems, finding out from them what they did, doing the same things, getting the same kinds of solutions. The thing that stops most people from being able to handle their problems is an emotional state known as overwhelm. If you get yourself in a state of overwhelm, then what's going to happen is your inherent ability to deal with virtually any problem gets squashed. So how do we stay out of overwhelm? Answer, learn to do two things. One, learn to associate in your mind massive pain to being overwhelmed. In other words, teach your brain to go into a state of overwhelm is much more painful than to deal with a problem. If you'll do that, your brain will do anything to stay out of overwhelm. In addition, teach your brain the pleasure that it gets by solving problems. Because the truth is in life, some of the greatest satisfaction you'll ever have is from taking on a massive challenge where it looked like there's no way to turn it around and pulling it off. One of the outcomes that I'm most proud of in my life came out of one of my most painful experiences. I turned my company around from $758,000 in debt from a guy who embezzled a quarter of a million. You can't believe the sense of satisfaction and confidence that comes when you've been able to systematically every day handle virtually every problem that a business can have and turn it around. It transforms your belief about what you're truly capable of as a human being and creates an unbelievable sense of pride of accomplishment. I mean, it's incredible. So again, the most important aspect of solving a problem is, one, manage your own state. You've got to stay out of overwhelm. You've got to stay resourceful. No matter what the situation is or how tough it may seem, remember, 
You've had challenges before. You've had things that looked impossible before, and you've turned them around. So be willing to trust yourself, to have faith that you can find a way, but the way is not going to be found by you giving up or by you becoming overwhelmed. Two, make sure your focus immediately is define the problem explicitly and in writing on a piece of paper and spend no more than 20% of your time to solve the problem on describing what the problem is. The rest of the time has got to be on the solution. Three, come up with your best plan to handle the challenge as quickly as possible and act upon it. Do not wait. Remember, momentum carries with it power, and inertia binds you to stagnation. Once you've taken action, keep your eyes and ears open. Pay attention. Step four, notice what you're getting from your present actions. Are you getting closer to the solution, or are you just creating more of a challenge for yourself? You've got to develop that sensory acuity to pay attention and notice the impact. Step five, if what you're trying isn't working, change your approach. Develop the kind of flexibility that allows you to solve virtually any challenge that can come up. One way to do that is learn to ask yourself the question, what would happen if? What would happen if I tried this? What would happen if I tried that? Too many people in trying to solve problems say, oh, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. Somebody makes a suggestion, nah, that'll never work. Instead of shutting off possibility, open yourself to any solution by asking yourself the question, what would happen if? What would happen if we did try that approach? What would happen if we tried something that we've never tried before? What happened if we tried this thing that seems to be silly? By asking the question, what would happen if you create new possibilities, more flexibility, and therefore a greater chance of getting the result that you want? Six, remember, you've got role models all around you. No matter how difficult your problem is, other people have probably already experienced it. Go to those people and get some of their answers of how to turn things around. Seventh key element to handling problems, change your entire belief about what problems are. See, a lot of people think of problems, in fact, myself, quite honestly, other than this tape, I usually call them challenges. I call them problems here to hook you, to grab you, because so many people look at them as problems. For me, my immediate reframe to virtually anything that happens is this is a challenge, and I love a challenge. Problems, eh, they're okay. Solving problems, that feels pretty good. But taking on a challenge, to me, that's inspirational. And remember, we've got to realize that the words we use create states in us. So you might want to change problems to challenges for yourself and just realize that's what they really are. They're an opportunity for you to expand and grow. I have to tell you that in my life I'd heard people growing up say things at times like, well, you know, this challenge will really help you to grow. And I thought, yeah, 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 sure, big deal. But in reality, as I look at the most difficult situations in my life, the biggest quote-unquote problems, the biggest challenges have caused me to grow the most. Out of necessity, they have helped me to create the level of skill and ability that have shaped my life well beyond anything that I would have dreamed of before. In fact, a friend shared with me years ago a metaphor about problems that really changed my view of them so that they weren't something to avoid, but rather than something to take advantage of when they came up. He took out a piece of paper one time and drew a little tiny X in the middle of it. And he said, this is you. This is you as a being. And then he drew a circle around it. He said, you see this circle? And it took up maybe a third of the page. I said, yeah. He said, this represents your influence. He said, anything that fits within this circle represents the things that you can easily handle in your life. Things like maybe balancing your checkbook, managing some of the people in your office, getting yourself to follow through on simple tasks. 
He said, now, take a look at this. Everything outside the circle represents all the things that you have not learned to master yet, the things that aren't within your range of comfort to be able to deal with. He said, and for some people, maybe for you, balancing your checkbook is actually outside your circle. He said, but here's the bottom line. He said, what happens in life is you're just floating along, and all of a sudden, just outside your circle here, just slightly outside, maybe an inch out, whammo, comes in one of these big, giant X's called a problem. And he said, what happens is it smacks the side of your circle and wakes you up a little bit. And your brain says, I've got to go deal with this. So you rush out to the edge of that circle to deal with this quote-unquote problem, but then you hit the edge of your circle. You hit your outer limits, the limits of your comfort zone. And he said, what happens is most people retreat. It's pretty uncomfortable being out on the edge like that. So they smack against their own barriers, and they come right back inside again. And they try and pretend that it's not there. But the problem is, if you leave that problem out there, you know what happens? Within a very short period of time, on the other side of your circle, bam, there's another one of those problems. Maybe not the exact same thing, but one of a similar type and quality. Have you ever noticed that? It's like if you don't handle one, all of a sudden another one pops up. And sure enough, what happens? You run out to the edge of the circle. You hit the edge of your present ability or your present comfort level, and you get a little scared and you pull back. What happens? You still haven't handled that problem, so whammo, another edge of your circle, there's another one that shows up. Now this keeps happening until you get enough pain that one day you smack through your barrier. You go all the way up the edge and you break through and you learn to handle that problem. Well, when that occurs, and as he drew it on the piece of paper, it was an interesting metaphor. He said, now take a look what's happened. You've extended the edge of your influence, of your ability to deal with things in life. And when you've extended out this additional inch, he said, watch what happens. Your whole circle, your whole beingness gets larger. He demonstrated for me in his drawing what he meant. He drew a line from the center of the circle, breaking through the edge of the circle out to one of those little problems. And now once it was handled, he said, the whole circle gets bigger. Now that situation that used to be beyond your limits is within your reach. In other words, you're bigger, you're better, and you're not only able to deal with this problem, but anything now that was an inch beyond your reach is also within your reach. You're able to deal with it as well. And he said, as soon as you're feeling really good about that, guess what happens? And I said, what? He said, another bam hits you, and there's another problem about two inches outside of your circle. And he said, if you don't deal with it, pretty soon, bam, another one. He said, but eventually you break through, you handle that problem, and your circle expands. He said, that is the purpose of living. The purpose of your being is to expand. And he said the purpose of problems is to cause you to expand. Without them, you'd stay where you are. In fact, he told me that in its original root, the word problem actually means to throw forth. Now think about that, to throw forth. What does that imply? It implies that you and I throw forth the very problems that we experience in our life. Is it really possible we throw those things out there so we'll continually expand and grow? Hey, I don't know if this is really true, but it might be a fun and useful way of looking at problems. Where now you say, hey, I threw this thing out here so I can expand and grow like crazy, so I can deal with more, so I can become more as a human being. I think it's a more useful way of looking at problems rather than thinking in life that you're going to solve your problems and then someday there won't be any. I don't care who you are, what's happening, there are going to be more because their purpose in life is to cause us to grow. And if we're not growing, we're not going to be happy anyway. So let me offer you one final thing in this tape, and it's maybe the best element of the things we've talked about thus far, and that is this. We've talked about the fact that what we focus on is what we get, and that questions, the quality of the questions we ask ourselves basically determines the quality of our life. 
a long time ago I realized that problems were going to be coming up on an ongoing basis if I was going to deal with a large number of people and expect to do a lot in my life. So I decided to develop a series of questions that I could use to take myself from feeling like I had a problem that was overwhelming me into a place of creating solutions. So I developed five questions, and I call them my problem-solving questions. And you might want to jot these down, even stop the tape one after another, and make sure you get them down in your notes. By applying these five questions, for myself at least, I've been able to deal with things that used to absolutely devastate me and actually turn them around into something that I really began to enjoy. And presenting to you these five problem-solving questions, I want you to know they can work for really big problems or for small ones. One thing that's important to remember is this. Small problems seem big very often, don't they? So dealing with the, the size of a problem doesn't matter. This system will work for anything. Let me give you a simple example. I remember one time I came back from a seminar tour where I'd done approximately 25 seminars in about 27, 28 days. And to say the least, I was a bit physically burnt out. And I came back and I felt like I'd not really had any space or time. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but that's where I was. And I came home and found a hundred messages, just under a hundred to be accurate, that I personally was supposed to respond to. That was not all the hundreds of calls that had come in that other people had handled for me. These were people that had to speak to me personally. Now, you talk about stress. When I saw this list and thought, I'm only going to be home for about 48 hours, and this is what i got to do on top of everything else, I went nuts. I started to feel angry inside. Why? I asked myself lousy questions. Questions like, how come I have to do this? How come I never have any space? I don't have any time at all. Pretty soon whipped myself into a real good frenzy. Now, the bottom line is, I realized that's not going to support my life. Fortunately, though, now I have a system for dealing with it. And any time I start to get upset, any time I start to get hooked by a problem, these are the five questions I ask. Question number one, what's great about this? Well, my first response is nothing. <laughs> so then I modify the question and say, well, what could be great about this? And I, what I do is make myself answer the question. I say, well, what could be great about this? And I thought, well, what could be great is, if, you know, if I really think about it, Three or four or five years ago, I probably would have begged to have people like this calling and wanting to talk to me personally, especially a hundred. I mean, my gosh, these are movers and shakers, and they got to talk to me and nobody else. They need decisions from me that can make a major difference. That's pretty darn exciting. That began to change my state immediately. My second question that I ask is, what's not perfect yet? Now, take a good listen to that. What's not perfect yet? Remember we talked about presuppositions earlier when we talked about questions? What does that question presuppose? The answer is pretty simple. It presupposes that it's going to be perfect. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Isn't that different than what's the problem? It changes your state immediately. So I said, what's not perfect yet? My answer was, well, what's not perfect yet is, even though I've got all these great people calling me, I don't have quite enough time for my own personal life. Third question, what am I willing to do to make it the way I want it. Again, what am I willing to do to make it the way I want it? Now again, listen to the presupposition here. What am I willing to do to make it the way I want it presupposes that I'm one, willing to do something about it, and that I can. Those are pretty good ways to look at the world. And so what happens is it gets me to focus on some solutions. So my brain said, what am I willing to do to make it the way I want it? And I thought, well, I'm willing to find a way to make the calls because these people deserve to have an answer and I'm willing to change my schedule and my life so that I have more time for myself. I'm the one responsible, and I can create it. Question four, 
What am I willing to no longer do in order to have things the way I want them? Well, when I thought about that, I thought, well, I'm willing to no longer complain about the situation when I'm the one who set it up. I'm willing to no longer put myself in a position where I have to answer all of these calls. I'm going to develop a different strategy where more of these people can be handled by someone else. And finally, the fifth question, probably the most important one out of the list, how can I do what's necessary to get this job done and enjoy the process? Critical question. Because what happened when I asked it of myself is I said, how can I get this job done? How can I return all these calls and enjoy the process? My brain immediately got an answer because I asked a good question. My brain said, hey, you own a jacuzzi. You haven't been in the thing for six months. Why don't you take the telephone outside, take your computer with you, turn on the jacuzzi, get in and make your calls from there and be a true Californian. <laughs> That's exactly what I did and I had a blast. I sat out there and called people and said, hey, how you doing? I'm calling you from my jacuzzi. What are you doing working for a living? And I harassed people and teased them and absolutely had fun. I made all the calls. In fact, I wanted more. I made it through all of them. Couldn't reach a lot of people, so I started looking to see if there's anybody else to call. See, here's the key. You and I have the resources in our lives to figure out how to enjoy anything. The problem is we don't ask the right questions. I took myself from a place of absolute overwhelm to a place of getting the job done and enjoying it through asking five questions. It'll work for virtually anything. So here's your assignment for today. Jot down the five problem-solving questions. Here they are. Number one, what's great about this or what's good about this? And if your brain goes nothing, say, well, what could be great about it? Question two, what's not perfect yet? Presupposing it's going to be perfect. Question three, what am I willing to do to make it the way I want it? Question four, what am I willing to no longer do in order to make things the way I want them? And question number five, how can I do what's necessary to get this job done and enjoy the process? Write down these five questions. You can play back the tape if you didn't get them down. And then what I want you to do is very simple. I want you to pull a problem out of your life, something that's a challenge right now. And I want you to run yourself through these five questions and write down the answers. Don't just answer them verbally. I think what you'll find by the end is you'll not only have solved your problem, but you may have created a new opportunity for a lot more fun. Play with your problems. Enjoy them and grow from them. I look forward to being with you again tomorrow. Till then, live with passion. Okay, we're back. Right now, I just want to say a quick shout-out to Deja Monet, Hospitality Diva, LaVon, and our guests that are listening in and chatting with us on the chat line. Let's get right into Tony Robbins' next lesson, and uh, it's your girl, Cy Brown, right here for LifeRemixedRadio.com. All of these emotions, these categories of emotions, are there for a reason, and they're to give us a message, a message that something needs to change. Now, one of two things has got to be changed when we're feeling any of these emotions. If we're guilty or inadequate or overloaded or lonely feeling, how would you feel if you knew that in a moment or two you could instantly get out of that feeling, no matter how intense it had been? Would that be useful? Then stick with me, okay, because I know this may seem a little bit cumbersome at first, so listen to me carefully. At any moment you feel any emotion, 
the first step you're going to always want to take to master your emotions, first step always will be to identify the signal. What I mean by identify the signal is figure out, if you're having a feeling, which one of these categories does it go into. So let's take a look at how this might work. Let's say something happens between you and a loved one, and as a result, you feel rejected. You look at your list of 10 here, and you say, rejected is not on here, Tony. Well, step number one is identify which category it most fits. Well, when you feel rejected, you really could feel a lot of things about that rejection. You might feel uncomfortable. You might feel actually hurt, or you might feel angry about it, or as a result of the rejection, you might feel lonely. What I'm trying to do is get down to the core emotion that really is controlling you, rather than just this giant word called rejection, which really isn't the essence of what you're feeling. As you go down and you look through your list, and by the way, I know you're not good at this list yet because it's brand new, but you'll memorize it simply by listening to this tape over and over again. By the end of this conversation, hopefully you'll know the 10, and I'll keep saying them again for repetition's sake. What we're going to call them from now on is action signals because that's exactly what they do. They are signals for you to take action, to reevaluate the way you're perceiving something or the way you're proceeding the way you're communicating your feelings to other people, or the way you're behaving around other people or situations. In other words, they're going to tell us we've got to make a change in order to get what we really want. And that's what these action signals are all about. They're not negative. They're not bad. They're there to serve us. But for now, let's come back to the example. We said step number one, then, always is identify the signal. That simply means where does it fit in here. So in this example, we said that rejection really was just uncomfortable for you. Maybe what happened is you turned to kiss your husband or wife, and they were busy reading or writing or something, and they didn't really reciprocate. You felt, you know, kind of uncomfortable about that. You didn't feel lonely. You didn't feel hurt. You didn't feel angry. You just felt a little uncomfortable. The signal of being uncomfortable is calling to your attention a message, and the message of uncomfortable feelings is, one, realize you need to change your state. That right now, no matter what happens in the state you're in, you're not going to appreciate it. You're not going to be resourceful in understanding what things really mean. Say, for example, you're feeling in a state of being uncomfortable about that, you're going to start hallucinating, well, gosh, my husband or wife, you know, they, didn't, they weren't really loving to me. You know, does that mean that they're not interested in me anymore? Does that mean that, you know, that our relationship's not as strong? We tend to hallucinate when we get an unresourceful state. So when you feel uncomfortable, first message from that signal is, hey, change your state. Second, clarify what you want. Immediately, you've got to clarify what you want. That's what the signal is trying to tell you. Says, yeah, don't just be uncomfortable. What do you want? If you want your husband or wife to be closer to you, get clear that's what you want. And step three, immediately take action in that direction. And the way to take action in that direction is communicate your desire or do something that expresses it. Make sure you do something until you achieve what you want and you're no longer uncomfortable. It's literally that simple. Don't just sit around and go, gosh, I feel bored. I feel foolish. I feel insecure. You know, I feel kind of rejected. I feel uncomfortable. Say, great. I need to change my state. The fact that I'm uncomfortable is a signal. It's giving me a message to immediately change my state, two, clarify what I want, and three, take action in that direction. If you do that, you conquer this motion immediately. Let's say you felt rejected to the point where you called it hurt. You really felt hurt inside. Well, what's the message of hurt? When you feel the, the sensations you call hurt feelings, that signal is giving you a different message. And the message there is that there's an expectation you have that's not been met and you have a sense of loss. That's why it's more intense than just being uncomfortable. You feel like you've actually lost something. Now, the challenge with this, as with all these emotions, is that when you identify the message, you must immediately clarify what has to be changed. Whenever you have what you used to call a negative emotion, you're now going to call an action signal. 
you know that that action signal is signaling you need to change one of two things, either your perception or your procedure. Now, let me clarify what I mean by that. Your perception might be, for example, that, gosh, you feel hurt. You feel like your husband doesn't love you so much anymore. Your wife doesn't love you so much anymore because, gosh, when you first met, boy, all you had to do was, you know, look at them, and they dropped their newspaper and came over and hugged you. Now they don't, and you have a sense of loss, and that hurts you inside. And that hurt is a lot more painful than the feelings of just being uncomfortable. The point, though, is this. Is this an appropriate emotion for you to feel based on this situation and this time with this person? That's really the question we want to ask ourselves whenever we have an emotion. We know that we have that signal. We need to first identify it and then secondly, immediately appreciate this signal is offering us a message and the message is we need to change. Again, our perception or our procedures. So our perception might be person doesn't love me. Do we need to change our perception? Do we have some rules that are inappropriate in this situation? And the answer here probably is yes. Wouldn't you agree? This person is just wrapped up in what they're doing because they're just immersed. It doesn't mean they love you any less. What this emotion is telling you is you need to change your perception because otherwise you're going to feel pain for no reason. You might also look at the same situation as a symbol that you need to change your procedure. Procedure means the way you're proceeding with this information. In other words, what this may be is a signal to you that you really aren't communicating your real needs to your husband or to your wife. Maybe what you need to do is change your procedure, and instead of feeling hurt or instead of feeling uncomfortable, turn to your husband and wife and say, Honey, you know, I know you're wrapped up in your work. I know you're totally immersed. I know you're trying to do stuff that supports the whole family here. But you know what? I just need, you know, three minutes with just you, just you and I, because I really need right now to just feel loved by you. I need to hold you. I need to feel connected to you. Now, if that person starts to get upset, obviously you're getting feedback that your procedure still didn't work. You have to be a little more flexible, a little more creative, or maybe a little bit more loving in the way you do it. Or maybe change the timing in which you go about something. But that's changing procedure, changing the way you communicate. Or another way of changing procedure might be it's a signal that says that the way you're communicating your husband or wife doesn't make them want to make you feel loved right now, that your present behavior may be turning them off. For example, let's say you feel rejected by them because when you come in the door, they don't rush up and give you a hug. They're immersed in something. Now, how do you respond to that? Well, what a lot of people do when they feel rejected is they feel uncomfortable with it or they feel hurt, or some people get angry when they feel rejected. Now, what's the message of anger? The message of anger is you have a standard for your life, something that's important to you, and it's not being met by another person or maybe even not being met by you. Sometimes we get angry because we're not living our own standards, huh? So let's say as a result, one of your standards is that people who love you, they run up and they greet you in your home. They don't do that today. You feel angry. One of your standards has been violated. Something you believe important is not happening, and now you're angry about it. How do you respond now to your spouse who doesn't even know what's going on? Maybe you give them a dirty look, or maybe you make some snide remark, or you find something wrong with what they're doing. As a result, this person may very well purposefully reject you. Now when you're feeling this rejection, you're feeling this hurt or this anger, and you say, okay, <laughs> this anger means I have a message here, a signal. Signals, I need to change either my perception or my procedure. Maybe you don't need to change your perception. Maybe they really are rejecting you deliberately. Maybe the procedure is not only how you communicate, but how you're behaving. Maybe you need to look and say, you know, I'm not treating this person in a very loving way. No wonder they're giving me this feedback. I need to change me. Are you following me so far? So we're always getting the message. We're identifying the signal. We're appreciating the message and knowing the message is telling us we either need to change our perception or our procedure. The way we're communicating, the way we're behaving. I know this may sound complex at first, but I have to leave this tape back and listen to this little section a couple of times. You'll get this down. I want to change either my perception or my procedure, the way I'm communicating to this person or the way I'm behaving or just the way I'm looking at the whole darn thing. 
and making it so I don't have pain. I need to look at things, communicate, or behave in a new way. That's the message of pain. Let me say that again because I think you'll get this one. If you're feeling pain, it's a message. You need to change the way you're looking at things and therefore what they mean to you or change the way you're communicating your desires or needs to someone, especially if the pain involves somebody else, or change the way you're behaving, the way you're treating others, and that'll get you a new response. That's, in essence, the basis of all these action messages. They're telling you, you've got to set a new outcome and move in a new direction. Otherwise, you're going to stay in pain. And by the way, let me mention something to you. If you ignore a message, if you ignore one of these signals and these action signals, whether it be the signal of feeling hurt or fearful or angry or frustrated or disappointed or overloaded, that signal doesn't go away. It intensifies. You'll feel even more hurt, even more angry. It intensifies until one day you get smart enough to say, hey, I've got to change something here. I've got to change my expectations, the way I'm evaluating this thing, the way I'm looking at things, the way I'm feeling about it, or the way I'm communicating what I need, or I've got to change the way I'm behaving, period. I'm going to keep feeling this until I make one of those three changes. It's that simple. Next, once you've identified the signal, i.e., you've been identified, you said, I was feeling rejected, and what that really means is I'm feeling uncomfortable, or it really means I'm feeling hurt, or angry, or lonely, or whatever. Then the second step is appreciate the message. Respect that emotion. Don't make your emotion wrong. So many times they say, well, I don't want to feel rejected, or I don't want to feel bad, or I don't feel angry, I don't want to feel hurt. Don't do that. Appreciate it. It has a message for you. It means you've got to change. But it also means something very specific, depending upon which emotion of these ten categories. So before I go any further, let me review with you what the messages are that each one of these ten signals is giving you. We've already said that if you're uncomfortable, the message is simple. You've got to change your state, clarify what you want, and take action in the direction of what you want. And immediately you won't be uncomfortable anymore. If you're feeling category number two, emotions of fear, whether it be concern or apprehension or worry or anxiety or scared or frightened or terrified, no matter what intensity it is, any one of those still are fearful emotions, and fear emotions deliver one message to us. We need to prepare ourselves to deal with something or to avoid the negative consequences of something that's coming up, something that's about to happen, a situation or an event. Basically, fear is get prepared. Get yourself so you can deal with something. And that's a valuable message, isn't it? Now, the problem is what most of us do is we get fearful, and we don't take the message. We either try to deny the fear and act like we're real strong, and all it does is get stronger and stronger, or worse. We just surrender the fear and we don't get the message. All we do is we get caught up in the emotion and we get more and more scared and we amplify it. And we start thinking of the worst that can happen rather than figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to be prepared to avoid the negative consequences and make this work? For example, people have fear of failure. That's a valuable fear. It's saying get prepared so you won't fail. For example, you might have a fear because uh, the IRS is coming to visit you and you get a little note in the mail. You get this feeling of anxiety. That's probably a useful fear. Right? It's probably saying to you, hey, you better go get all your paperwork in order. If you didn't have that message, if it wasn't painful enough, you might slough it off. It might show up, and it may cost you a lot of money, not because you weren't accurate or honest, because you weren't prepared. Same thing happens if somebody asks you to give a speech, and you get a little fear inside. Maybe it grows into anxiety. The more intense it gets, the more we tend to surrender to the emotion rather than get the message. That's why we may want to convert fear and say, well, I'm a little concerned. And what I'm concerned about is... I need to prepare for this speech so I do the best possible job and I'll feel confident instead of fearful. Now, again, with each of these emotions, we want to hear the message and see if the message appropriate. You may already be prepared. You may be as prepared as you can get. There's a limit to what you can do, right? There's a point where you have to have some faith. At that point, you might just have to say, you know what? This is a message I need to change my perceptions, not my procedures. I'm prepared by my procedures. I know what to do. I know how to do it. But I've got to stop focusing on this thing being the worst possible situation. 
I just needed to decide to become confident now, to focus on it working instead of it not working. The third category of emotions, those of hurt feelings, give us a signal and a message that says, you have an expectation that's not been met and you have a feeling of loss, i.e., you expected somebody to keep their word and they didn't, that hurt your feelings, or you expected someone never to share something that you told them privately and they told somebody else, and now you feel hurt. You feel a sense of loss of intimacy with them or loss of trust, and that sense of loss is what creates that feeling of hurt inside of us. What do we need to do? It tells us immediately that we have to evaluate, is there really a loss here? Again, do we need to change our perception? Maybe you just didn't communicate to this person that when you told them this, you wanted them to keep this information private. Maybe you haven't lost anything. Maybe you just have to change your way of communicating your needs or, again, change your behavior. The next category is anger. That's the fourth category. And, again, emotions like irritation or feeling livid or furious or enraged or resentful, all of these fit into this category. Any of these emotions are simply signals giving you a message, and the message here is that an important rule that you have in your life has been violated by someone else or maybe even by you. See, when we think something's really important and somebody violates that rule, we get upset about it. How we deal with that upset will determine a great deal how much pain or pleasure we really experience in our lives and how close we get to other people or how much we push them away from us. In other words, if somebody violates your standards, that's the message. What you're supposed to do with that message is real simple. Communicate that you have a standard. Communicate that you know it's only your rule. It isn't necessarily their rule, but you need their help. So if we use the earlier example where you shared something in confidence with someone, but you didn't tell them it was in confidence, you expected them to know that, and you didn't just feel hurt, you felt angry about it, then the bottom line is instead of beating that person up, you need to go to that person and communicate in a different way. Right? Change the way you're communicating. Change your procedure. And say, you know, I know you didn't understand this to be private, but this is really important to me. And you need to deal with it as quickly as possible. Anger is usually an outgrowth of hurt. In other words, when you're hurt, you have a feeling of loss. Something you expected didn't work out. When you're angry, it's because it's something you think is really important that wasn't handled. Or you've got a lot of hurts that have built up and you've not expressed them. You've not communicated them. So anger is usually a signal that something you believe is really important has been violated by someone or yourself or that you've had a lot of hurts that you've not expressed that have built up until their anger. How do you deal with it? Change your perception. Maybe this person wasn't trying to hurt you at all. Change your procedure. Communicate better what your real needs are, or change your behavior. Tell people up front, hey, this is private. Promise me you won't share this with anybody because it's real important to me. Either way, you'll get out of your anger quickly. It's simply a signal that says you need to clarify with other people what your rules are and get them to agree to meet them, or you need to compromise them possibly. You know, some things you get angry about, you're going to get angry about for the rest of your life. And you better identify those things and realize that those are just your standards. They're not everybody's standards. And if you go around being upset because everyone doesn't live by your rules, you're going to be upset your whole life. So, again, maybe you need to change your perceptions, change your rules, so that life is a lot simpler and a lot less painful for you. The fifth category of emotions, frustration. These action signals are telling you you need to change your approach to achieving your goal. Whatever you're going after, you're not going to get it the way you're doing it right now. That's why you're frustrated. You keep trying to get the same result by doing the same thing over and over again. There was a definition given a long time ago about insanity. They said insanity is attempting to get a new result by doing the same thing over and over again. It'll never work. So you've got to change your approach. When you feel frustrated, just know, hey, that's a message. I've got to change my approach. I need to be more flexible in this situation. Category number six, disappointment. 
If you start to feel disappointed, that's a signal. And that signal is bringing you a message. And the message is that you need to realize an expectation you had, an outcome you're going after, is not going to probably happen unless you change your expectation and make it more appropriate for the situation at hand. In other words, maybe you wanted something to happen in too short a period of time. Realize disappointment says you need to change your expectations. You need to change simply your view of things and come up with a more appropriate outcome for the time that you have involved, the people you have involved, the situation you have involved. So that's the message. Listen to it. Utilize it. Don't keep re-experiencing disappointment and stacking it until you feel overloaded, overwhelmed, or hopeless, or inadequate, which our emotions we'll talk about later. But first, let's talk about the next one. The seventh major category of emotions are guilt or regret emotions. Hey, when you've got feelings of guilt or regret, a lot of people say, well, don't feel guilty about anything. Garbage. Guilt serves you if you hear the message. And the message of guilt is really simple. It says you violated one of your own standards, and you must do something immediately to ensure that you're not going to violate again in the future. That's why you have the pain of guilt. Now, what most people do is they do one or the other. They either deny the guilt, take themselves out of it, and don't feel guilty at all, which, you know, I agree you shouldn't stay in guilt, but if you just deny the guilt and don't get the message, the guilt's going to come back. It'll get you sooner or later. It's back there. It's deep. It's dark. It'll get you. So with that fear, maybe you should turn that fear into getting the message instead of being overwhelmed and, again, surrendering to guilt. That's the other extreme. People just walk around, and they, and they allow themselves then to feel inferior for the rest of their life. They feel so regretful about what they once did. That is not the purpose of guilt. It's to make sure you clean up your act. It's to make sure that you don't violate this again. It's that you make things right when you screw up. That's what you've got to do. Now, sometimes you can't. Sometimes someone has passed away or something's occurred where you feel guilty about something that happened in the past you really can't change. The only thing you can change is your present and future behaviors. When you do that, you can let go of the guilt. But that's the message it offers you. And again, when you immediately feel the signal, what do you do? You identify the signal and you realize, hey, I'm feeling regret or I'm feeling guilt. Secondly, you appreciate the message. It's a message that says you need to change something, either your perception or your procedures. Maybe you're feeling guilty about something you shouldn't feel guilty about at all. Have you ever done that? I know I have. I felt guilty one time because I didn't help somebody feel happy enough. I used to run around. If everybody around me wasn't happy, I'd feel guilty if I felt good. How stupid. We don't want to fall into that category. You might want to change your rules or your perceptions. Or you might need to change your procedures again. Maybe the procedure is you feel guilty about the way you communicate to somebody. You were too harsh. Go back and clean it up. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. I really regret what I said. I was wrong. Boy, the guilt will disappear. Or change your behavior in the future. Change the way you're going to communicate to that person or people like them. Any one of these three changes, again, will immediately eliminate the guilt, and then guilt has served a good purpose, hasn't it? It's kept you on track. It's moved you forward. It's made you a better person. That's why it's there. Utilize it. Don't wallow in it. Let's go to category number eight inadequacy. Boy, if you feel inadequate, those are any of those emotions, again, that make you feel like you're less than. Feelings of being unworthy, for example, would be inadequate feelings. Whenever you feel this emotion or emotion like it, get excited. Appreciate it's offering you a message, and the message it's offering you is simple. It's saying you need to do something to get better in this category right away. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect at it, Inadequacy just says you've got to do something. Don't sit on your duff anymore. You're feeling inadequate because you haven't done anything to be really good in this area. Now, the first thing you've got to do is, as you go through this process is ask yourself, is this really an appropriate emotion? That is, am I really inadequate or do I need to change the way I'm perceiving things? Maybe I've got some rules that say in order for me to be adequate, you know, I have to go on the dance floor and outdo John Travolta. 
You know, that's probably inappropriate perceptions. You need to change the perceptions, or it may be changing the procedures, which is, ah, I need to prepare myself by doing something right now to get better. One thing you could do is just go practice. One thing you could do is go out and initiate some communication. So inadequacy is a message to get up and do something to become better or to change your criteria, to look at what you're doing and make it easier for yourself to feel adequate. You've probably got rules that are too harsh. Now, category number nine. This is one of the categories that I think immobilizes and destroys more people's lives than virtually any of the others combined, and that is a feeling of being overloaded or overwhelmed or hopeless or depressed. They all fit together. I use overloaded to make it sound simpler, because if you say, gosh, I'm depressed, you'll immediately feel much more intensity than if you say I'm overloaded. The key here is to realize that this is a signal. When you feel hopeless, depressed, overwhelmed, or overloaded, the message that's offering you it is that you need to reevaluate what's most important to you in this situation. Sit down right now and decide what is absolutely important, what's a necessity for you versus what's a desire. Write down all the things that are most important for you to accomplish. Then, two, put them in order of priority. And then three, take the first one on your list and do something about it. It's the same thing with depression, the same thing for being hopeless. Sit down and say, okay, instead of saying it's hopeless, I need to change my state, number one. That's always the message of all these emotions. Number two, I've got to clarify what's most important to me. Write it all out. Three, what's the order of the importance? And four, what's the first thing on my list? Let me go handle that. The minute you go handle anything and you deal with one simple issue, your brain can handle it. And as soon as you handle that situation, you will feel like you're in control of your world. You will not feel overloaded. You will not feel overwhelmed. You will feel like there's hope, and you won't feel depressed. Your self-esteem grows when you do something to take control of events instead of having events take control of you. And all you have to do to take control of events is chunk them down. Pick one thing and master it. The message is simple. You're trying to do too much in too short a period of time. You're looking at the whole world and expecting everything to be perfect overnight, and you're feeling like you can't handle it all. Chunk it down. Here's the final category. Category 10, feeling lonely. Have you ever felt really lonely? Gosh, I don't think there's anybody alive who hasn't. But what does it mean when you feel lonely? What is the message that you should get from that signal? I think the message is really simple. What we really need at that moment, the message is telling us we need a certain connection with people. The challenge with that message is a lot of times people take the word connection or the idea of the need for a connection with another human being and they make it into a sexual connection or instant intimacy. And they feel frustrated because even when they have that, they still feel lonely. What we really need to do is identify what kind of connection. Maybe you do need an intimate connection. Maybe you just need some basic friendship or someone to listen to or somebody to laugh with or someone to talk to. It's real important when we feel lonely just say, hey, this is really neat. What's great about being lonely is it says I really care about people. I love to be with people. And I need to find out in what way I want to be with somebody right now. And then take an action immediately to go in the direction we want. In other words, all ten of these emotions are a message to our brain to say, Hey, what you're doing right now isn't working, and you need to change it. You need to change your perception, change what criteria you're using, your way of looking at things that makes you feel this way, because your perception is not appropriate, or change the way you're communicating. You're not communicating things in a way where people know your needs, or just change your behavior. What you're doing isn't working. Change your approach. Every feeling you have, good or bad, is not based on the actual reality of life, but rather your interpretation as to what things mean. And remember, nothing in life has any meaning except the meaning you give it. So if you don't like the way you're feeling, change the meaning. If somebody passes away, you really cared about them, and they die. 
You can feel really bad. You can feel disappointed. You can feel frustrated. You can feel angry. You can feel hurt. You can feel sad. And all those are appropriate emotions. But make sure you take a message from it. And the message you've got to eventually come out with is, what's an empowering way of looking at this? What else could this mean? Maybe it doesn't mean that I just lost somebody. Maybe it means this person has gone someplace they need to be. Or maybe this means my connection will be even stronger with them now than when they were here. Maybe this means I will value my own life and give more while I'm here because I realize that life is delicate. Choose meanings that empower you in life instead of assuming that meanings that disempower you. The final message to remember. Whoa, what about that lesson? I actually, every time I hear it, I actually learn something different. So I think that's pretty cool. It's not a situation where... Um, I'm the leader and everyone listens. I always learn something every time I listen to a lesson from Mr. Tony Robbins. Please know that um, I am so happy that you listen to my show. You log on every single day at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time to Life Remixed Radio. It's a pleasure having you. Tomorrow we are talking politics for the full show um, we're, we're definitely talking about this whole Somali pirate situation and the impact that it has and it's making on the lives of other people. We will continue our study about this AIG and financial um, meltdown that we're experiencing, but I am extremely optimistic. I do believe things are turning around, and I made the declaration on this show last year in, in late October and again in early November that March was going to be a critical um, pivot point in our economy, and I'm still standing by that, and I, and I believe it's happening already. So. Tomorrow we're talking politics for the full show, as we do every single Tuesday on Life Remixed Radio. Please remember that we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. It's your girl, Cy Brown. Thank you so much for listening to Life Remixed Radio, and I'll see you tomorrow. Peace.